Janina. Hi, Emma. Are you ready for some sexy history? I am ready for some sexy history. It's a pretty sexy week. It is a sexy sexy, week. Sexy history. Because it's alcohol and everyone knows that alcohol is very sexy. It, alcohol is very sexy, although I feel like beer maybe is the least sexy of the alcohols. Yeah, it does make it just you, you kind of belt bloaty. a whole lot. And yeah, yeah. Be a little bit like I don't drink it. It also makes me feel very ill. But oh. I just feel really, like, full when yeah. I've drunk it. I think it's, so I don't. It's one of the ones that, for me, I've got to really feel like a beer. It's not a default drink for me. It's yeah. like, I mean, sometimes it is just because Jamie wants beer so he goes and buys a few cans but it's not what i'd go to at any moment you know no but. i usually get halfway down and then i think oh i'm really full up now and because i don't <gasps> drink fizzy drinks either oh, I don't drink. yeah so then it makes me then i get all hiccupy and i'm like a small child when i'm given a beer i'm just like i drank half of it and now i'm full up yeah, <laughs> the problem is is that i want that stomach space for food yeah, or other drinks. I've, that... like, literally marvelled at people who, like, go out for a Sunday roast and get a pint of Guinness. Guinness is the most filling liquid on the face of the earth. I don't know how, yeah. like, you, I could See, not fit I'm both a... of those things in my stomach. I'm always incredibly impressed by Connor's ability to drink Guinness because he really can drink, a, like, once... Like, he can drink a lot of Guinness. Mm-hmm. So he will drink pint after pint of Guinness when he goes out. And I'm just like, how is that... I can drink maybe a quarter pint of Guinness. And I, can, I definitely eat more than Connor as well, like when it comes to food. I can drink a pint of Guinness, but definitely not have anything else at the same time. <laughs> like, that's it. That's a meal. That's me done for the next few hours. Yeah. And I know some people are apparently more used to it, I guess. Oh, yeah, stomachs of... We should probably talk about what we do. Oh, yeah. So you're Janina and I'm Emma and we answer people's history questions and tell them how it's sexy. Yeah, great. And this question came from Chris that my mum works with. (laughs) It's an excellent source. This is my favourite source so far. Sorry, all of you who have tweeted us. This is better. (laughs) If you could just become friends with Emma's mum to get your questions to us, I would enjoy that. So what you need to do is you work with my mum. So they work together in Stenning Library Mm -hmm. and have done for many years. And Chris is lovely. And then you don't have any kind of social media as far as I'm aware. <laughs> and then you just tell my mum and then my mum texts it to me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that is the the way to please us. And so this was a question prompted by Toby Clements novels. Have you ever read a Toby Clements novel? Not knowingly, but I don't know, remember everything. <laughs> so I, I feel like you probably haven't. He's written a series of books called The Kingmaker Chronicles. Oh, I've heard are, of those. Yeah, which yeah. are about the War of the Roses. Yes, yeah. No, I have not read them, but I know of them. Yeah, they're like, you know, a rollicking good read. Yeah. They're like, if you want to read Conigledon, but you don't like hanging out with Tories. Sure. <laughs> sure. Um, then then you, you read a bit of Toby Clements. Great yeah, fun. That's fine. I love a bit of rip-roaring, sexy, like, historical fiction. Yeah. Um, and that is exactly what he is. Yeah, great. A bit more battly than sexy, I would say, but still good times for sure. everyone involved. Sure. And basically... Her full question was... In medieval times, how come there was so much ale available? What was it made of? How come it was so available? And how was it made and transported? Yes. Uh, Everyone seemed to drink it from rich to poor. Soldiers were given some before battle. What was it made of? How is it so brilliant? So that is, yeah, so quoting from Toby Clemens. (laughs) 
yeah, so we're going to be talking about ale and beer in the medieval world. Yeah. So I figured that seeing as this came from Toby Clements, which is Wars of Roses, so like solid mid-15th century, we can go basically from like the 13th century through to about the 16th, 17th century, I reckon. Yeah, that, that seems... There seems to be a turning point where things change in the 1600s, so we can cut off there. Yeah, there's a big... Well, I I don't want to do spoilers. There's a sudden change in the (laughs) recipe. Yeah. Which gets Um, exciting. It gets pretty thrilling. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. Wait for that, everyone. (laughs) So, yeah. So, I mean... I got really into reading about how beer was made, which was fun. Yeah. And why people drank so much of it. I think the why people drank so much of it is the question that everybody is probably like, oh, well, everybody knows why they read, why they drank so much of it. And it's because the water was poisonous. Well, see, this is, I found, I found some contentious things about this and some exactly. disagreement. It's a contentious thing. Yeah. Well, yeah, because of course they didn't know about dirty water it was far more common to blame illness on the air. And the humours. Um, yeah, and the humours. Because <laughs> um, they, did, they didn't know about germs, they didn't know about bacteria or anything like that. And also, there was plenty of clean water available. There were wells and there were streams, and while they wouldn't be pure... And, like, I mean, I don't know. I come from Christchurch, which, until the earthquakes, we like we did just drink water that came straight from the mountains. It didn't go through any sort of yeah. cleaning process because water from nature is, like, Fine. like filtered through through you know, I don't know how it works exactly. But it wasn't until the earthquakes happens that we had to start manually cleaning our water. So definitely in the country, I don't think it's that hard. And also, we know that there was a lot of infrastructure put in place to transport water, especially in places like London. There were pipe systems and there were streams that were diverted through places. So potentially that was part of it, but I don't know. I don't know. I couldn't find anything definitive. I just found arguments against and for. um, Yeah. You see, the arguments for is like, oh, well, they probably like instinctively worked out that if you drank loads of beer, then you got sick less. But then I think of the like amount of people that kept drinking from the cholera tainted yeah fountains in Absolutely. london Completely. and they were like n- and it took like one guy to put that together yeah. <laughs> they could instinctively work out that drinking from water made you sick you'd think they'd be able to instinctively work out that cutting a hole in your arm and letting blood out didn't improve your fever <laughs> like i just killed people a lot more exactly it's it's really so, yeah. easy to look back and like color history with what we now take for granted, but that's not <laughs> it doesn't really hold up when you look at all no. the things that we did stupidly for so long. Yeah, and I do just keep thinking of the those people just constantly every like everyone in my family is dying of cholera. Better go get a clean glass of water. Yeah, yeah, but <laughs> um, <laughs> um, <laughs> I think. Some of the claims I did read about why it was so widely drunk are more for nutritional reasons. If food yes. was scarce, water doesn't have any nutritional value particularly, but beer does. And it also has a high calorie count. So if you are working outside, laboring, you're burning through a lot of calories and you may not have the food available to you to sustain that. But beer could help top that up so that you had enough to get by. Yeah, um, And again, does. like, I don't know, but like... It seems as as reasonable, um, a re- like a thing. Well, in it was considered to be like a 
a, a healthy nutritional thing yeah. because it does have a lot of calories and that's good for you and when if you're poor particularly you're and you're living primarily on like moldy bread <laughs> then a beer is a, has got a lot of calories in it but it also does have quite a lot of vitamins in it it's a really good source of vitamin a yeah it's made of grains. Um, and things that people from the medieval world would never have heard of, yeah. like riboflavins. <laughs> they're kind of, that you know, the shit that they like when you buy Cheerios or whatever, they're like, with bonus rhinoflavins. <laughs> you like, can be like, just like my beer. Just like my beer, exactly. And it potentially, for some people, was up to 80% of their calorie intake in a day. Yeah. And that's why they gave it to children for breakfast. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't want to say that the water thing is a myth, but it, I don't think it's as cut and dry as people like to make it out when they when they pull out that wee factoid at parties. Yeah, it's an inadvertent thing, and also, and this is the important thing, they thought it tastes well. I'm not. I feel like bad saying it tastes nice because I doubt it did. But um, it <laughs> tastes nice. Comparative. This is before like, England had nice food as well, so their palates weren't like expecting much. <laughs> well, I still don't particularly think that beer tastes nice, especially not like ale beer. Yeah. Because I hate the taste of hops. And also, but then I think that Coca-Cola tastes disgusting and I don't understand why anyone would drink it, but my partner drinks Diet Coke all day. Yeah. And people drink all kinds of it. People drink tea and I think that's gross too. So I don't know that I am a person who <laughs> <laughs> has sure, any sure. right to judge what tastes nice. We can probably but just people... chalk that up to personal preference. Yeah. But, you know, people don't go around drinking water... I do because I apparently am odd, but yeah. people drink all kinds of different things because they like to drink something with a taste. Yes. Yeah. And like, I think that something that a lot of the history that I've been reading overlooks is like the decision to drink beer and to just maybe want to have a wee sip of beer. Yeah. Because like in the way that sometimes people want a nice Coke or a nice Lilt or whatever people drink. Yeah. Now can't think of any other drinks. Do you know what I think I've been thinking about recently is, and this is a totally assholeish, but like when you log things in the fit, like if you have a Fitbit, you log what you eat and drink and you log water separately so it can make sure you're hydrated and you have a target of how much water you're supposed to drink every day to stay hydrated but if you mm-hmm. log something else like a cup of tea or a glass of coke that counts as food not as oh. water so it doesn't count that as part of your daily hydration which i find really interesting because it is there's still water in there it's still gonna like it is still yeah hydrating you yeah it just... i mean i think so i'm not a nutritionist i don't know how the bodies work God. I'm reasonably sure that things that are wet have water in them. I'm pretty sure they, they do. <laughs> like, I just drank a cup of peppermint tea. I'm pretty sure that had basically the same benefits as drinking a cup of water. <laughs> <laughs> it's basically, yeah, that's the extent of my nutritional knowledge. Now. <laughs> it's just water with leaves in it. Just water with this. I mean, that's exactly what it is. You boil it, you boil leaves, chuck yeah. a bit of milk in sometimes, I guess. I don't know. Don't drink tea. Not with peppermint tea. No, not with peppermint tea. I That'd have seen disgusting. people put sugar in peppermint tea, though, and that blows my mind. That seems wrong. That's how it's supposed to be. Not peppermint tea. Yeah. No. Nice mint tea with sugar in it. Like, if you've oh. ever been to Morocco or, like, North Africa, you get a mint tea there. Yeah. Like, fresh mint tea, and it's like... One third leaves, one third water, one third sugar. Delicious. Sounds awful. Oh, it's so good, Janina, because it's just like having a pipe. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a drinkable pipe. <laughs> I didn't know that was going to come out until it came out of my mouth. <laughs> I'm really glad. That it did. <laughs> 
<laughs> so there you go. Um, yeah, it's great. It's delicious. I do think it's interesting. Like small beer, I, we, we haven't actually, we've talked all of this guff about whether small beer replaced water, but we haven't actually said what small beer was. Yes, we haven't. Um, which is basically, it's a very, very low alcohol contact beer that is produced by brewing from the same mash multiple times. So you get yeah. your grain, you brew it all up and make your beer, and then part of that is separating out the liquid from the solid, and then you use the solid again, and you get to like a mediumish beer, and then you do the whole process again, and then the third time you get a small beer, which I don't like, like supposedly is less than 1% alcohol, but I don't think that anyone's kept any small beer from the Middle Ages and measured the actual content. Well, I don't know. We both found this guy who has spent a lot of time recreating medieval beers. This guy is so great, so handy to have around. He is extremely handy. I'm very grateful that he did it because he's really gone all into... And he talks a lot about... So this guy, this website is from 1998. And this guy is in Pennsylvania, I believe. Yes. And um, he has decided to try literally to make home-brewed medieval beer based on two recipes from the 16th century, which is extremely impressive. Yeah. And he has gone really into some detail about, about how he's done every stage of it, from how he crushed the grain to how he made the mash to how he then boiled the mash <laughs> like so so basically if you've never made beer at home uh, connor went through a period with his friend of making beer at home so i have watched this kind of happen in my bathroom <laughs> and so basically they didn't do this stage obviously because no, you don't have to do this stage anymore but basically you get your grain which is usually malted barley and malted means that basically they got the the grain off of the you know plant um yeah plant yeah grass get it off the plant yeah yeah the thing um and so you get all of that you harvest it all in and then you spread it all out on the floor of the malt house and make it wet a little bit Mm -hmm. uh, and then just kind of leave it for some days so for a couple of days or up to three weeks so it kind of sprouts a little bit Mm -hmm. um, and you just give it a shove about every so often and then, and that means that it lasts longer and does something different. Sure. And so that's malted barley. It basically means it sprouted a little bit, and was, and then you kind of cook it for a while so that it kind of goes a bit brown, and then you sell it to people. So sure. you get that, and then you grind it up really, really small. Mm-hmm. And they would presumably use like a stone grinder kind of thing this guy's like medieval brewers would use a stone grinder i used a steel roller in <laughs> my my coffee grinder basically oh sure uh, <laughs> you could probably use a food processor if you have one or like a stick yeah. blender but then he has a bread flour mill as well that he uses his friends so he gets that so that makes your like flowery kind of stuff basically yeah i feel i feel like it's one of those things that you know coffee coffee snobs say that you've got to have like a ceramic grind coffee bean grinder to be real uh, real dick about your coffee and like if you use one with blades then you're wrong but i don't i don't know if that's true I don't know if that's true. We do have a ceramic one, but that is because it came with our coffee machine. We had one. We've had a couple. The most recent one, when it died, we got one with blades because it was so much cheaper. They are so much cheaper. Yeah. 
Yeah, we bought ours from a guy who had obviously become overexcited and purchased an extremely expensive set of coffee stuff uh-huh. and then realised a year later that he'd never used it. Sure. And felt kind of bad about it and obviously wanted it out of his house out of guilt. Yeah. And so sold it to us for a ludicrously small amount. That's amazing. I think <laughs> Just the, because I, think, I don't think he could bear to look at it any longer. <laughs> I think the one clear difference is that ceramic burrs let the coffee through when it's at the right size so you get a consistently ground coffee but the one with the blades i think the only way to get it really consistent is to blitz it until it's super fine which you only really want to do if you're making espresso not if you're doing like lazy plunger coffee like we do yeah i've no idea yeah anyway it doesn't matter that's not beer that's coffee that's not beer anyway (laughs) so once you've done that once you've ground it all up then you mix it you do a process called mashing, which is it turns it into like fermentable sugar by mixing it with hot water. It seems like this is an incredibly slow process. This point as well, I think you've mixed in some oats. Well, yeah, sometimes. Then, like you put in a bit of water and then walk away for two hours and then come back and put in a bit more water. It's like the slow, making the slowest risotto possible. Yeah, and except you don't want it to absorb too much of the water. Um, yeah. And you have to kind of keep it at like the right temperature for ages um this is my favorite bit because he's like oh you have to keep it like at the right temperature for the right amount of time for like two hours so it's not boiling but it's hot and it's consistent Mm -hmm. so he's just like i didn't really know how to do that without a thermometer so i just put my hand in it which is <laughs> almost list- definitely what they <laughs> yeah did. it's thought about how long i would leave it to stay in there yeah <laughs> Yeah, and then you might chuck some other stuff in there so you can like put in like some flavorings if you want or some herbs or some spices or some hops. That's where hops go in in the later period. Had oh, to we'll look up to what that. hop was because it occurred. What is a hop? What a hop was. It's like a seed cone flower of a plant. Oh, sure. I, sh- I know, right? Yeah. This is this just shows you how well the tour of the Guinness factory went into my head the one time I did that. I, I know there yeah. was a section on hops, didn't really I went to the Guinness Factory and then drank half my Guinness and gave the rest of it. Oh, that's fair. <laughs> but yeah, then once you've done that, then... We've, we've both said factory. We do know it's called a brewery. Yeah. I just want to don't at us for saying beer oh, factory. It's a beer factory. Everyone calls it the beer factory. Everyone calls it the Guinness Factory. It's fine. Yeah, then you basically drain off all of the water and leave like the goo, like the solid bit behind, which is now sticky and gooey. Yeah, and that's and called that... the the solid mess is called the malt. Yeah, and the liquid is called the wort. Yeah, which is nice. And then you boil that water up again, and then you cool it down. Then you chuck some yeast in and leave it to ferment for ages. Yeah, yeah, and it's super time consuming and quite annoying. <laughs> and I mean, yeah. it's not it's not like time consuming in that it, like it has to process so much. You have to keep coming back to it. Yeah. And going away again and then coming back and going away. It's like a massive chore. Yeah. And this is a, right, so to come to like the second part of the question, really, how come it was so available? It's because everybody was making it. Yeah. You cook would have some going in the kitchen or if you weren't like rich enough to have a cook, your wife had a thing going and people who were particularly good at it would sell theirs around to other people. Yeah. In the medieval world, it's one of those things like you have to make bread every day and you have to do the washing every day and you have to mop the floor and you have to make the beer and you have to... Yeah. Like, it's just one of the things on the list that you do. Like, in the same way that you have to make dinner, you have to make the beer. Like, 
There's just, it's not a, an optional recreational thing, particularly. Yeah. It's just part of your daily chores, basically, which is fun. Yeah. Uh, because it is, it is quite... It is quite an irritating thing because it's like lugging about a lot of, and we are talking about a lot, like a family of five is drinking well over a gallon a day of beer. <laughs> like everyone is drinking quite a lot. So you're having to brew like a gallon a day. And that's a gallon of fucking water that you've got slush about, which is heavy. Yeah. And if you, if that's easy to drop. And once you've dropped it, you've fucked it. Like, you've got to lug about all this goo. The goo, usefully, as I say, you can get loads out of it. You can do it two or three times. Yeah. But then you've got this, like, weird, mushy mash, <laughs> which you've then got to lug out to feed to your chicken or your horse or whatever, if you're lucky enough to have one of those. Yeah. Your single sad-looking cow, because they only get to eat the gross mush that you give them after you've sucked everything out that you can. (laughs) But yeah, but for a lot of the time, a lot of particularly the earliest periods and in more isolated communities, the people who are brewing it are just you at home. Yeah. And it's because of ease. And I I don't know, it's probably the sort of thing that some people have a knack for it and some people struggle just like everything. But because it's broadly speaking, easily made at home, it's both the strong beer and the small beer, whatever you're using for, is can be drunk across class systems. Whereas wine, which is a lot more difficult and relies a lot more on unpredictable factors, was always for rich people. Like, yeah, especially because it has to be... Like, it pretty much has to be imported. You can't really make wine for, in England. Yeah. There's no great English wine. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And even then, like, it's so it's so stressful making wine. I had a friend who was doing her PhD in wine making and what like from a biological like she's doing a biology PhD in what you need for good wine grapes and what you need to do them. And she almost had a breakdown. She ended up quitting because it was so (laughs) stressful worrying about the grapes all the time because any little change in the weather could affect the way they grow and therefore the wine that's going to come out at the other end. So it's a very difficult thing to get a good bottle of wine. It is a very difficult thing. Yeah, like, and it's expensive to do and takes forever. Yeah. Total hassle. Yeah, and I would hazard a guess at that the per, like, the wine per square acre that you get out of a vineyard as opposed to a barley field is... Like, I, I would imagine there's a pretty big distinction between those. Yeah, like, I suspect so. Yeah. And also, like, to be honest, to wine, the nu- nutritional value is, I suspect, limited. <laughs> it's part of your five plus a day. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fruit. <laughs> it <is. laughs> it's 100% true. <laughs> Such a Prosecco mum thing to say. <laughs> Yeah, it kind of is. <laughs> Someone somewhere has got a, a massive wine glass with that written on the side. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, never say anything that could wind up on a novelty wine glass. I regret <laughs> everything. <laughs> if not someone will soon <laughs> but yeah like you know that's that's a lot of effort there's way more effort than most people have the time to put in yeah you can't do that casually as part of your normal farming business no and then after that like the expansion there's two ways that it expands the first way is that it is in monasteries when monasteries start getting properly big they're really like they have to brew lots 
for the community, mm-hmm. for the monastic community. And they kind of export their stuff around to other... So, like, if you've got a brewery, then they will provide the beer for all of the priests and canons and bishops in the area. Mm. So, which it turns out is quite a lot. Like, canons in the Doomsday Book get 30 gallons a week. Yeah, that's an impressive amount. That's a lot. Like, it's more... Like, it's a lot. (laughs) It's a good... That's like more gallons a day. (laughs) That's so much beer. I mean, I'm assuming that's for their whole household because they would presumably have servants and things, but still. Yeah. So they they start brewing on a more industrial scale and it's not for selling particularly, but is for the wider church community. And the church and brewing are like completely intertwined with one another. Like the... This is deeply ironic when you consider... How often the church tells us all not to go out and get wasted on the weekend. (laughs) Well, see, this is a quite interesting thing, because when you get to the temperance movement in, like, the 19th century and the rise of, like, Methodism, for example, Mm -hmm. and the pushback and the push against alcohol as as a source of, like, degradation and, and, and moral decline, for a long time, beer and by that time we had lagers as well, but beer and ale and things were not really considered to be the same as spirits and wine. So spirits and wine were bad. Yeah, which I'm sure at least in part, like, because the temperance movement was heavily Protestant and wine is is a very Catholic, has a lot of Catholic associations. So I would imagine there is a bit of, like, shades of papism being looked down on with that one because, like, apart from the fact that it's lavish and it's more expensive... That's the only thing that makes it more dangerous. Like, it's not stronger than beer. I mean, it's stronger, but it's served in the way it's served kind of undoes that so yeah and this is post like gin panics and things yeah which was a real problem but for a long time beer was not considered to be part of that it's not until the early 20th century that beer became part of became seen as like a bad alcohol mm. and that was counted that when you said you didn't drink it also meant you didn't drink beer <laughs> um, because for a long time you could say that you were temperate and you were teetotal but still have beer three times a day <laughs> Which is good. Um, And it was believed very strongly that beer was good for you, like that it was good for the health, good for the body, made it, you know, a healthful thing that was nutritious and delicious for everyone involved. Yeah, which it probably was, given the circumstances. Like, I mean, compared to virtually everything else. Well, completely. And like when people are running at the risk of operating at a dangerous calorie deficit, like that is going to stop you, which is good <laughs> like if you are deprived of other sources of nutrition yeah and there are quite a lot of good 16th century manifestos about how beer is really good for you yeah and particularly how it's better for you than ale <laughs> but it is a physical drink to keep the body in health and it, rather than an ordinary drink for the quenching of our thirst mm-hmm. which makes me think of those adverts for guinness in when people w- would go on about how guinness was really good for you because it contains loads of iron. Sure. I mean, I'll take that. And, like, there was a big... I don't think this really happened possibly outside of Ireland, but they used to give a new mother's Guinness all the time. <laughs> Amazing. Like, um, and there were lots of adverts of Guinness is good for you. Yeah. Which were, like, the you know, the toucan, the Guinness toucan? I don't think I do. Oh, man. You've been to the Guinness factory. <laughs> I have been to the Guinness factory. <laughs> They've got a whole thing about their adverts. Oh, I don't remember that at all. In my defence, it was like seven years ago. 
Okay, so there's a like a fa- famous Guinness toucan, and the adverts would say Guinness is good for you. And there was another one that says, if you can say as you can, Guinness is good for you. How grand to be a toucan? Just think what toucan do. Sure. And like there's a tortoise with have a Guinness with your tired. <laughs> But literally, the adverts would say, just in big red letters, where there was a pint of Guinness, Guinness is good for you. It gives you strength. Yeah, well. And that's literally the straight up exact. In fact, I've just Googled this and I'm now looking at an awful lot of adverts from the 50s and 60s, which (laughs) just straight up say Guinness is good for you. Um, There is a bar that we go to in Belfast, which has the Guinness is good for you sign in about six different places. Yeah. As like, it's also covered in a load of other tap, but... There's one here which is Guinness is good for the home. There's an economical family-sized bottle. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. Uh, Which is straight up using the exact same (laughs) advertising that they were using in the 16th century. Big 2.25 litre bottle of Guinness. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Uh, good good for the whole family. Yeah. Yeah, and they're like, it is an emblem of justice for it allows and yields measure. It'll put courage in a coward and make him swagger. It is a seal to many a good bargain. The physician will commend it and the lawyer will defend it. It neither hurts nor kills any but those who abuse it immeasurably. <laughs> kind of mumbled underneath there. <laughs> That's a, a, yeah. Yeah. They were, you know, very into the idea that it was just straight up good for you. Yeah, well, I mean, sure. Yeah. And it was, like, given as a... So this is the other thing, it was given to soldiers before they went into battle, but it was part of their ration. Yeah. Wikipedia has a claim, and the association for this is a book that's like £20, so I didn't buy, that mm. schools had their own breweries deliberately for the, to provide beer to the students, including, like, Eton had, like... And I tried to I tried to fact-check this on the, on the internet to find if Eton had had a brewery, um, but all you get is, like... A current brewery now in Windsor that's called the <laughs> Eaton and Windsor Brewery, and it's like this is this doesn't help me at all. <laughs> what is the book that it references? The book is called. I'm gonna see if it's one of the ones. A History of Agriculture and Prices in England from the Year After the Oxford Parliament to the Commencement of the Continental War by right. James E. Thorold Rogers. Unfortunately, I died in the middle of that. Sentence, <laughs> so... I think that's fair. That's reasonable. I'm actively dead. It now. looked like a pretty serious book. I have no reason to d- to doubt James E. Thorold Rogers. So pretty dreadful. Um, um, I mean, sure. I, I guess I trust him. I don't know. Uh, his book sounds barely readable. Yeah, I mean, the title is barely readable. Yeah, for your garrison rations, they were called. They were, in fact, given a pint of cider or beer, yeah. I believe, if I remember correctly. But there was a. I've read a lot of sharp books back in because i love sharks sure. and uh, and they're obviously set during the napoleonic wars mm-hmm. they are obsessed with their ration of of rum they get or beer if it's available mm-hmm. but rum wasn't really around for obvious reasons so they would get a good amount of beer when they were taken yeah which meant that they had to be taken around we we're talking about medieval soldiers we're not talking about a standing army though is the difference mm-hmm like, if we're talking about the Wars of the Roses, for example, what we're talking about there is effectively feudal armies which are raised from the lands that the lords own. Yeah. So you are called into battle and you would probably have to provide your own. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> your own everything, I assume. Yeah, pretty much. You don't get to... Like, what you get in exchange is not being turfed off your land. Like. <laughs> which is handy. 
yeah and like the community would provide for themselves but you would have to take your own your own beer no one's providing that for you but it's in the same way it's not medieval battle because this is an english civil war in case i've just occurred to me that people might not know what the war of the roses is the war of the roses is a civil war that, uh, from about 1455 to 1480 something between the two houses fighting for the english throne basically so it's the white rose and the red rose and it's yorkshire and Lanca- lancaster lancaster Lan- um, and there's just a load of battles but most of the battles are like one day battles that happen reasonably close to at least one of the lord's houses <laughs> <laughs> they're not like marching around europe claiming territory like the napoleonic wars or long wars with fronts or anything like that they are little skirmishes the well they're massive battles but the actual battle will last a day yeah. because it has to be over by nightfall effectively <laughs> i like having that rule <laughs> <laughs> we fight until sundown and then we all go to bed and get an, a good eight hours. Yeah, well, probably everybody just goes and, like, you know, you have to spend nightfall dragging around all of the people who are lying on the floor going, help, help, <laughs> and, and dying horribly yeah. because death was miserable. Yeah. Yeah, it's not, like, it's not months away where you are marching around or and you're not a standing trained army who is being provided for by the state because at this time a state doesn't exist but it is you know you're providing for yourself and yeah. so you have to provide your own donkey to pull the cart that's got your salt beef and beer on it yeah. um that's sloshing about in a... So this is another thing that I really liked about that recreating medieval ales thing because he really goes through some recipes um, and he finds one which is from uh, the 14th century from County Clare. Mm-hmm. And it's very specific. So this is a fairly elite household, Elizabeth de Burgh, Lady of Clare, mm. which I've decided is probably a relation of Chris de Burgh. Sure. I'm reasonably sure he's from Clare. <laughs> <laughs> He's certainly from somewhere around there. Anyway, I've decided he's... Are they the... Because I know in the past we've talked about, and like, an important part, like, family from County Clare. Is this the same? I can't remember what their name was. I'm going to assume it's remember. the same family. Okay, yeah, sure. <laughs> no one can prove that it isn't. But anyway, uh, <laughs> Elizabeth de Berg made 60 gallons of ale a week made from eight quarters of barley and dredge and so everybody always talks about oak barrels and oak is like the traditional thing but oak is obviously very expensive and an oak barrel is quite breakable Mm -hmm. if you drop that and it splinters it's fucked and they're not necessarily that easy to get hold of and so she makes hers in a lead vat great good idea i hope that works out well for everyone he draws a line here at the <laughs> at doing that. He says, I'm not interested in low-level lead poisoning. <laughs> Which That's I take to be... Fair enough. But he does get really antsy about the fact that American oak is different to European oak. He gets very sad about that. That's like, <laughs> well, you're going to get antsy about that, but you're not willing to risk lead poisoning. <laughs> Absolute chance. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, so, you know, you're dragging your stuff around. And it's basically in the barrels. It's in probably oak barrels or wooden barrels and being chucked on the back of a donkey or in a cart and dragged about. But it is mostly people providing for themselves for the most part. And then it emerges 
as industrialization grows and towns grow gradually yeah. and, and as they discover hops like adding okay, hops to the I'll recipe. let you talk about hops now <laughs> the great in, like, <laughs> the great hop turn of the 17th century um now i don't know that i like i don't understand things my understanding is that introduction of hops um basically made the brewing process a lot more stable yes so you get a higher quantity of high quality beer it's not as liable to be bad shitty ale like that's the difference ale and beer beer has hops in it and ale doesn't yes Um, ale has a thing called groot in it yeah so that basically made a more stable product that could last longer and would taste better um and that was part of the reason people started selling it industrially because they were making this nice new thing with this nice new ingredient that not everyone was using. Yes. And that slowly sort of spread it, kicked off in, in Germany, northern Germany. They started playing around with some hops and it slowly spread from there. Yes. Yeah. Um, it hops also is kind of antibacterial, so it lasts longer. Yeah. So it yeah. doesn't go off as quickly, which means that you can then transport it further. Because an interesting thing I read was that in when you're talking about house production, like domestic production, basically, because you have to do it so constantly, probably most beer was not allowed to like finish fermenting. So you wouldn't ferment it for six weeks or whatever. It would just ferment until you needed it and then you would drink it. Um, So it would still be fermenting while it was going, which meant they probably didn't last very long. Yeah. Whereas hops come along and they make it taste a bit nicer. It makes it a bit more stable and it makes it clearer and better. Yeah. And everybody's very happy because it means that when you make beer, it's very similar each time. Yeah. You know what you're getting. You can brand it now. (laughs) Yeah. And then you can move into having ale houses where people make it and then you go round to their house and drink their ale. Yeah. Which then the Tudors ta- like start taxing. <laughs> <laughs> um, although William the Conqueror was the first person to put like regulations on what beer could be made out of and stuff. He just rocks up from France and is like, this is interesting. I'm going to tax it. Yeah. But the Tudors, were re- they invented licensing. Sure. Mostly because they needed money all the time. Of course they did. They kept having to go on expensive hunts. Yeah, they had households to maintain. (laughs) They had so many alimonies to pay. So many alimonies to pay. They had, like, have you seen what Elizabeth looked like? Have you seen how many rings Henry VIII had? Like three on each finger. So many. Yeah, so they were like started licensing people so that people would have to pay to sell beer from their houses. But that's later, after the Tudors won the War of the Roses, because that's how we get the Tudors. Yeah. Henry Tudor wins. Spoilers, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> In case you were going to read the Toby Clements books. Yeah. <laughs> Hen- is that Hen- Henry the Sixth? I want to yeah. say. Yeah, or Seventh, one of the two. I I feel like it's sixth, and then seventh was just like constantly like having to stop it from starting up again. That sounds about right. And then the eighth just spent his whole time boning. I mean, a lot of boning. A lot of boning. Not getting any children though. I know, so so few children, so much boning. No, Henry the seventh was the first monarch of the House of Tudor. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. I was dead wrong. Yeah, I learned all these things from Rex Factor. You see. Oh yeah. The only episode that I've listened to is your one. 
So. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I recommend you listen to all of it because you'll learn many good things. Yeah, I should. It was very good. I, I found it very entertaining. Thank you. Um, but, you know. I listened to, they're doing the consorts now and I'm learning a lot about the various wives of kings. Mm. It's currently Anglo-Saxon ones. Excellent. Yeah, it's very good. They're talking about a load of stuff that I did in my, like they're tangentially related to my PhD. So like a load of the authors that are being cited, I'm like, hey, Pauline Stafford, Hi. <laughs> <laughs> Ginty Nelson, hooray! <laughs> Which is unexpected. And there's a second time this week that something that has been in my that was in my PhD turned up in an unrelated podcast. That's amazing. Because yeah, another podcast I listened to started talking about spiritual incest, and I was like, hey, hey, <laughs> <laughs> I have opinions on spiritual incest, <laughs> which I do <laughs> a lot. Quite controversial. Oh, someone should ask us a question about it and then we can get into them. We can. I can talk about it and I can say why everyone else is wrong. (laughs) That's what we're here for. Just saying why everyone else is wrong. I do like saying everyone else is wrong. It's my favourite. It's very, very fun. Yeah. The problem is, I think, that most people don't... A lot of historians forget that people in the past are people. I know. I mean, we forget (laughs) that people in the present are people, so... That's true. Yeah. That's true. Anyway, does that answer all the questions, do you think? Yeah, I think so. I think it's important to note, though, um, just because we know it, we don't want people to assume that we don't know it. Because of the, the, the question was about medieval beer, beer has been around for thousands and thousands of years across yes, basically the entire world. The oldest known beer that has been discovered was 7,000 years BCE in, I want to say, Iran. Yes, uh, it's Mesopotamian. Mesopotamia. Beer emerges... Yeah, it's because merges because it is. Um, so Mesopotamia is Iran and Iraq. It's the point between the Tigris and the Euphrates, and yeah. that is where the first agricultural communities ever yeah. emerged. It was also brewed in ancient China. Yeah, it was beer was everywhere. We found all humanity discovered that you could crush up grains and ferment them and make a nice, tasty drink. And they loved it. They loved so it. <laughs> when I was doing my PhD, we did. We had a like a research seminar thing with other PhD students and one girl who was doing her PhD on uh, Sumeria, um, which is one of the Mesopotamian civilizations, her rubbish, rubbish boyfriend, who was a terrible human in every single way, mm-hmm. made Mesopotamian beer based on a Sumerian recipe. Uh-huh. How was I it? I brought it in. It was one of the worst things I've ever tasted <laughs> in my life. But then you don't like beer, so we can't really know from that. No, but, you know, I have drunk beer. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I wouldn't go out of my way, but, like, I will take a wee sip of a beer. Yeah. And I can tell the difference between them. Sure. And it was, it was truly dreadful. (laughs) And then we were like, do you think it tastes dreadful because you did it wrong? Or do you think it just tasted this fucking awful? Yeah. So, yeah. And anyway, he turned out to be dreadful. So maybe he was just poisoned by his personality. I feel like... There's maybe, of of all the people who would try to make an ancient beer for fun, I feel like 1% (laughs) of them are probably really cool and the other 99 are probably this particular ex-boyfriend. I feel like, at the very least, most of them would be very tedious. Yeah, it's it's a tedious thing. You've got to be a little bit obsessive to to do something like that. And I tell you, when researching this, so I found like a good couple of books, which I will put on the Kofi thing that like most of this is drawn from, which are like the standard kind of texts. But I was looking at articles just to see what kind of articles people wrote about stuff. And all of them are like the most like niche 
tedious, like micro-focused article titles that you can humanly imagine like the kind of thing where you just like i don't want to talk to these people yeah (laughs) like you all sound so boring like a history of beer additives and it's like nothing like that's have your interest in your passions and that's great but like there is a certain point where when you care so deeply about something it's very difficult to share with people who don't care the same amount and that happens a lot with this sort of subject, I think. I'm never going to find that interesting, and I don't want to hear about it. <laughs> I think it's just that they get real granular. So like, granular, yeah. And I'm not massively interested in granular stuff. Yeah. And so I, I see why they would want to, but like, in, even these books are like, they're very granular about what they're talking about. They are very, like, the contents pages are very, very, like, A History of Beer Brewing, for example, has so many tables about different types of brewing and processing with, like, one type is made if you kiln it for 26 hours at 85 degrees and this type is made if you grow it for 86 hours at 28 degrees and you're like, oh, my God. That's a little bit... Further than I'm, I'm really glad in going <laughs> that you can do that. Yeah, but also I'm really glad that makes you happy. <laughs> yeah, but I also don't care. However, the my favorite one was just um called a history of beer, and it has a chapter just called a Tudor miscellany, which is full of amusing pictures. So sure. I enjoyed that. That is pretty good, including a classic, the drunkard's cloak, just a little man in a beer barrel, <laughs> like because he hasn't have he sold all his clothes. So more. All he has is his barrel. That's the kind of book I'm into. You've been an amusing picture and a Tudor song about beer and I'm happy. Yeah. Just every so often, like, just nip one in in, in between the boring bits. <laughs> apparently, this isn't really history, but apparently when they were making Lord of the Rings, I guess it is kind of history now, it was a long time ago, <laughs> they had real yeah. trouble. And I don't know if I really buy this completely, completely. They had real trouble finding a low-alcohol beer or alcohol-free beer that looked authentic, like, looked like beer. Mm-hmm. For filming the scene where the hobbits all get wasted in the pub, so yep. they asked a particular New Zealand brewery called Harrington's to make them a dedicated beer, which they did. It was called Sobering Thought, and it was mm-hmm. I think 05 percent alcohol, maybe maybe a bit more. Wow! And then the brewery sold it for a while. Apparently, it was disgusting. But yeah, it looks more like beer than what was available at the time in general, apparently. Wow. I mean, I've seen low alcohol beer. It looks like beer. I know. I don't know. I think maybe Peter Jackson... I feel like maybe Peter Jackson had gone mad with power. I think maybe, yeah. He was like, my budget (laughs) is infinite. I'm going to pay for my own beer. Like, I've I've spent 300 billion. I've got an infinite amount of money left. I'm going to just make me my own beer. Make me my own. I want my own one. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to be honest, that's what it sounds like. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. I'm not wrong. Yeah. I am fairly regularly, but I reckon I'm not here. No. And I don't just say that because of my opinions on Lord of the Rings. <laughs> what are we going to talk about next time? So our next question comes from Dev, who emailed it to us. So we're really moving away from Twitter, which is good because it was beginning to sound like we only talk to people on Twitter. So he emailed us and said, I've had various references as to how in various points in history in different countries, tickling was used extensively as a form of torture. 
The most commonly referred to form was practiced in ancient China among the aristocracy, hence the term Chinese tickle torture, but I have heard it referenced in very various medieval countries. Medieval European countries, sorry. Just <laughs> However, I've also heard these claims may be spurious. Is there any truth to them? And why, if this was the case, is it so? So Chinese tickle torture or tickle torturing in general. That's really interesting. I literally know nothing about this, so that'll be oh, exciting. We're going to find out. Yeah. We've got some good questions coming up, actually. We have, yeah, yeah, there's some nice ones. Yeah, there are some good ones coming up. Yeah, so, and I I found one in my DMs that somebody sent me from ages ago that I forgot to answer the thing, so I have to work out where it belongs. (laughs) (laughs) So, but yeah, all in all, we've got some good questions. We're not ever going to claim to be, like, particularly good at maintaining any order with that. I do my best. I try yeah. to keep these in an order. Sometimes things slip through the gaps because yeah. there's quite a lot of ways that people get to us. But and sometimes we us. move things around because we have similar questions close together and sometimes there's just not much of a response. But, you know. Yeah. But then we put them, we haven't done a short answers one. Maybe we should do a short answers question soon. Maybe we should. Um, and see. We haven't done one in ages. Yeah. And they're just fun. Well... I think that's us. Well, we'll work up to that. Anyway, yeah. that's the question. I hope that this made Chris, that my mum works with, happy. <laughs> and that now she'll have a new perspective on Toby Clement's novels. Yeah, me too. Um, and other books about the Tudors. And beer. And beer. It's very different now to how it used to be. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, Janina, where can people find us if they want to send us a question? You can tweet at us at sexyhistorypod. Or email us at sexyhistorypod at gmail.com or you can comment on our Kofi page at bit.ly slash support sexyhistory and while you're there you could even send us a couple of quid if you were so inclined we would love that you can a couple of people have sent us money and then slipped in a question with the money which I like because it makes it feel like they're bribing us it does Um, and actually maybe we should bump people up the list if the question (laughs) comes with a couple of quid we're going to become corrupt (laughs) oh I would sell out so fast (laughs) (laughs) we're two steps away from being the catholic church in time of the reformation (laughs) look I've got rent to pay (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> yep or you can uh, send us a message on facebook at facebook.com slash sexy without the e history pod i am back on twitter sadly and i am at nuclear teeth <laughs> and i am at jane and and if oliver who lives far away now is he at does. kiwa and i think that's all the places leave us reviews say nice things about us tell your friends that we are good yep all of those by my book by janina's book by all our books by all our books is that it? I think that's it. That's it. Yeah. Bye, Janina. Bye.